Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. For those of you that are new here, welcome. I'm so glad that you found me and that you get to be here and listen to these juicy episodes. My name is Monica. There are so many exciting things changing and happening this year, which you guys will continue to hear about in different episodes. So please make sure that you're tuning into the update episodes because those episodes give business updates as well as personal updates. Um, and I want to make sure that you guys are getting, that you guys are in the right places to get all of the content and the information and the learning. So if you're not on my email list, that's really, really important to be on this year because I am putting out more content on my email list. Um, and I think that slowly I'm going to like start to wean back on just the type of content that's going out on Instagram and really directing you guys to like podcast episodes and emails and maybe even blog posts. So we'll see what happens, but the world of social media is definitely changing if you haven't already started to notice. And whilst people like some people are still addicted to TikTok and getting the dopamine hits, a lot of us are realizing it's not serving us, it's burning us out. And we would prefer, okay, example one, one of my best, one of my best friends, she just texted me, it's 103. She just woke up again. She's exhausted. She's been working way too hard. She has a crazy job. Anyway, point being is a lot of us are realizing that this kind of short form hits of content are really um overwhelming and overstimulating to our nervous system. And it's causing us to just feel like it's the it's the it's the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It's like that in conjunction with everything else is too much. We're needing to almost pull back a little bit and come back to some of those more simple ways of consuming content. So anyway, with that, let's jump in to today's episode. So if you haven't watched season two of White Lotus, get on it. It was so good. I honestly just loved watching it because it's all like Italian vibes. And as you guys know, I love Italy. I love an Italian vibe and I love Paris as well in a Parisian vibe, which is why we're all having problems deciding where the fuck we're going to get married um, because we just love both of them too much. And so half of the reason I was watching White Lotus is literally for some Sicilian energy in my life. So please make sure that you've watched episode, uh, sorry, season two. You don't need to have watched season one to watch season two. They're different like people, different casts, like a, com- a completely different storyline. So heads up with that. So we're going to kind of jump straight in, straight in as I've done with um, a previous breakdown of uh, TV shows like I did for the Sex Life series that you guys loved and I've done for a few others is I'm basically going to go through characters, but I'm this before White Lotus, I'm going to walk through the characters and the different scenes that we see in chronological order. So I'm not just, there's going to be multiple episodes on White Lotus. This one's really going to be going into uh, episode two and three. Episode one really set the scene, so I kind of just ignored episode one. Episode two and three, it gets more into it. So we're starting with those episodes today. And then the next episodes will obviously be then from, you know, four or five, maybe six. We'll see how it goes. Okay. So remember all the characters, right? We have Daphne. We have her husband, um, Cameron. They're like that bougie, wealthy couple. Then we have Ethan and we have his um, wife, Harper. And they're the kind of like, she's emasculating him. Like he's always running and doesn't want to have sex. Like that's a whole other dynamic. Then we have um, Tanya, which we all love and adore. We have Albie, who, as I will refer to, is the soft boy. We then have Dominic. We have Ethan, 
We have, or I said Ethan, sorry. We have Porsche. Um, and then I've all, I'm also mentioning, uh, I'm slightly mentioning Mia and Lucia towards the end of the episode, but they're the, they're the, uh, characters that we're going to focus on at least in today's episode. So what I love is that the contrast between Daphne and her husband, Cameron, is remarkably different to Ethan and Harper. It seems like in the beginning that one couple is happy and one couple is unhappy, right? Or one couple feels, you know, unhappy and the other couple feels is, is happy, but it's fake as we, as we soon find out. So the contract, the contrast is pretty remarkable, but we actually end up realizing that they're more similar than we think. It's that their execution of their unhappiness is different. And that's what I'm going to kind of go in. And I'm going to, as I go through these different scenes and characters, I will also try and share like what could have been done so that you can make sure that you're not making the mistakes of the characters in this uh, TV series. And obviously it goes without saying the characters, we have to make assumptions about who they are, their childhood, etc. So just roll with it. It's a bit of a fun series that we're doing. Okay, Tanya, who we all love, the main thing that we, we need to see in her to learn is that she has no belief in herself and she also has no self-respect. The self-respect is really important because we all are pretty aware that she's got no self-belief, but the no self-respect means that she continues to choose men that don't respect her and use her. She goes against her desires, right? She doesn't feel strong in herself, but she's also desperate to be loved by a man. And her character in that sense is really familiar to a lot of us as women. The execution of it is questionable, right? But we can all kind of relate to Tanya a little bit in a way in that we just want to be wanted, devoured, protected by a man and not worry about being used. The thing that the character that, that that the writer did a really good job of with character uh, with uh, Tanya, in my opinion, was that because of her lack of self respect, it means that sh- we are seeing that she is kind of doing this to herself. She is choosing these men because she's desiring love so badly, but because she's in this space of neediness with a lack of self-respect, it means that she's falling with the wrong men and she continues to have this self-fulfilling prophecy of no man is going to protect me, love me, look after me, etc. Portia, right, her fantasy, so Portia is Tanya's assistant, her fantasy, and okay, so the thing with fantasies, just to quickly make you guys, uh, make sure that we all understand that. So the thing with fantasies is that a fantasy comes from a desire, like deep in your subconscious, and she's not fully admitting her desire to herself. So when you think about a fantasy, whatever your fantasy is, there is a desire that you have in there that you are not, I'm going to do a whole other episode on this, but in that fantasy, there's that desire and you are not letting yourself fully admit your desire and claim your desire. And so what happens is that you use the fantasy world or you have these sexual fantasies and you hope to play them out because then you can kind of get your desire in, let's say the bedroom, because it often seems more accepted to have a sexual fantasy that's played out in the bedroom. And we forget that often those sexual fantasies that are played out in the bedroom are mirroring what we are desiring in our current life. So we see with Portia, for example, that she essentially just wants to be claimed and well-fucked by a man, right? And we can probably all relate to that as well. That's her fantasy. That's her desire. And we kind of see that as her relationship goes with Alfie, which I'll talk about in a second. 
And what's interesting though is that she's also trying to be this like modern woman and like et cetera, et cetera. We see in that scene where they're talking about the Godfather when they're out on their excursion, which I'll go into later. She says something like, that's a bit tasteless that the woman gets blown up. And it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, we live in this pussy, like not trying to be derogatory to our pussies because they're powerful, but we live in this, okay, I should say pathetic. We live in this pathetic society these days, right? Where everybody is so like, it's, they're too soft. They're too emotional. They're too sensitive. And what's happening is that we are forgetting charm. We're forgetting art. We're forgetting play. We're forgetting desire and fantasy because we're taking everything too seriously. And it's removing the pleasure that we could be having in our life because we're taking everything way, way, way too seriously. And so with Portia, you kind of see her character where she's trying to like be that modern woman that's like, you know, equality and like, what do I want to do with my life and figuring her shit out and not going to into admitting that she just wants to be well fucked and claiming that for herself. She's trying to like be good and like be with this good boy and like, et cetera, et cetera. And all it's, all it's happening is that she ends up going for the bad boy because, which isn't healthy either, right? Because that, what's his name? I can't remember. I'll go into that later. When she ends up going with that, uh, the blonde British guy who's a douche, what then, it's like that whole story that we tell ourselves, like the bad boys are bad, the good boys are good, but like they're not fucking us well enough. And we get confused. And I talked about this in the Sex Life series. We are getting confused with what a good boy is like what we are actually wanting in a man. And so what happens is with with Portia, for example, is that she wants components of Alfie, but the desire, the fantasy that she has of being so just like claimed and well fucked isn't happening. So then when she sees this other guy come in that's going to fulfill that desire and fantasy, she will run to that because her heart rate's up. She's like, this is what I want to fucking feel. And then obviously she gets herself in a bad situation and we can relate to this because how many of us have been in a similar situation, right? Where there's a great guy in front of us, but we're just, our pussy is dry. Like, sorry, but our pussy is dry. He's not getting us going. And then we see a bad boy come along and we're like, hells yes. And we run because it's like, finally, our, like, our bodies feel fulfilled. Like we are getting our pleasure centers activated in the way that we want, but then we get let down. And so then all these women are walking around. Like, I don't understand. Like, wh- like where the fuck is the middle ground? Like somebody find me a man that is going to look after me, but also fuck me well. And that is why we also have so many women settling. We're settling. We are, we are settling for, you know, uh, the loyalty of a quote unquote good man. And we're thinking that we can't also be really well fucked. And like I should do a whole other episode on this, but my fiance is obviously like such a good man. Like he's always been that good guy, like so respectful of women. He couldn't like it just, I shouldn't go into details because I don't have his permission yet because I haven't asked him this, but I will like such a good guy, you know, almost to his detriment. Right. And what's really interesting is that because of obviously the work that I do and what I know and all that kind of stuff, I have really given him this permission piece to unleash his sexual desires. And so I do get the best of both worlds because I have played a role in creating the safety for him to unleash his masculine dominance that is often shunned and shamed and suppressed in our modern society. And these men are thinking that they can't be aggressive, let's say in the bedroom in a healthy, sexy, dominant way, right? Like that way. They can't be like that in the bedroom 
because then they're going to be labeled as not being a good guy. And all these men, they're trying to be good guys. What's happening is it's almost like they're trying too hard to be good guys and we're not then being attracted to them. They're fucking the polarity up, if that makes sense, right? So when we go into, when we meet um, Alfie, Alfie, Albie, wait, it's Albie. Did I say Alfie, another one? Wait, it's Albie. When we meet Albie, he's like the modern soft boy. And when I say boy, I mean B-O-I. Like he is like this like this soft boy who's basically trying to do everything right to be equal with women. But what's happening is that with him trying to be so perfect for women, the reality is that he's actually kind of losing a bit of their respect and their desire. He doesn't lead on dates. Portia has to tell him what she wants and then, you know, nervously is like, does is he taking this? Is he not taking it? Does he get the hint, etc. There's that, what was the scene? There was a scene where he said, where she told him what he wants, what she wants, right? And then he kind of nervously says that he will do it, right? There is a lack of confidence in him feeling secure enough to lead and to take charge and claim her. And this is the case for a lot of men and women are finding this. And it's like, no wonder then women are going into their masculine because at the, we, what we can see with Albie is that he's just trying to not do what his dad did. He is trying to be a really good guy, which we can love and we can appreciate. And I appreciate that about his character. And what we see as we continue to go on is that he doesn't win. And you know that whole quote, like, um, good guys finish last? It's like we're seeing that, right? And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be a good guy. It's with it's that we need to redefine and get really clear on how to be a good guy and be a masculine one. Being a good guy doesn't mean that you then have that you then can't grab a woman and pin her down with her obviously trust and you know you guys are in a safe relationship, etc. That doesn't mean that you can't do that. And sometimes what's happened is I feel like the lines of respecting women has been blurred where we, where men are feeling like they can't be sexual because then that's disrespecting women. And it's like, no, 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 no. I lose a risk. Like I almost lose respect for a man when he can't lead because I don't because like, he doesn't respect his desires. So I lose respect for him because it's like, you can't, you can't even fucking lead. You can't do, you can't make a fucking decision. Just like you would lose respect for somebody in the office in a meeting that couldn't make up their fucking mind in a meeting, let's say, you would probably lose respect for them eventually if they were continuously doing it. The same thing. You would lose respect for a man when he's continuing to not show that he is somebody worth your time, energy, respect, etc., because he's tiptoeing around trying to be somebody else to please the status quo, right? Albie is trying to be somebody else to please women. Like they're all, we're all still doing the same thing. We're let's let, let's make this one really clear. Women are still trying to be loved and and please men. Men are still trying to please women. And we've done that forever. The execution of it's been different. And now the execution is getting to a point where it's not pleasing women. And the execution of women trying to be loved by men is not pleasing men because we're emasculating them. In We're emasculating them because we are longing to be claimed and we don't know how to do it in a better way. So we end up emasculating them in the hope that they will fight us in a way and stand up against us 
because we still have these same fantasies. And now we are suppressing our fantasies as a way to not be judged and make sure that we fit in the perfect box of modern society these days. Okay, so moving on to Dominic. So Dominic, excuse me, is Albie's dad. And I mean, we can kind of label him as the sex addict. However, as we really get to know him a little bit more and what and how I'll be kind of diving into him is that, yeah, he's a sex addict, but is it actually about sex? No. What it seems to be about is that he's desiring, like this happens with most men, is to be loved. He's desiring and he has his own issues, right? So he really loves his wife. We know that because he he's very genuine in that in the way that he is describing how badly he wants to get back with her. But he hasn't done any work on himself. And I guess how Albie also like Albie gets frustrated at Dominic a lot, right? For being stuck in his ways, for being old school, etc. And I think the one way that we can say that he's really old school in that is that he is so stubborn in not seeing that maybe he has some shit to work on. And he is aware that you know, he didn't exactly see the greatest image from his dad, but awareness isn't cutting it. It doesn't cut it for anybody and it definitely isn't cutting it for him, right? So he is in this massive situation of playing self-sabotage with himself, right? The thing is that men that are often addicted to sex are deeply wanting to be seen and love. It's not actually about sex. It's that sex gives them the opportunity to receive the intimacy that they are not able to get in their life. And they're getting addicted to not just the feeling of power and sex and love and dopamine. They're all things that you get, of course, right? Everybody's addicted to that. That's just human nature. But more so is that they are really deeply wanting to be seen and loved by somebody. And so if somebody in a situation with no strings attached is going to fully give themselves to this other person, is going to see them, is going to love them, is going to adore them, that's very often what is beneath sex addiction addiction kind of things, if that makes sense. We also know that majority of the time when men cheat, it's not about the sex per se. It's about, and obviously it can be sometimes, it's actually about that they are not being seen by their partner. That's especially for the situations where you're like, what the fuck, we have sex? Like, why did you go elsewhere? It's like, because it's not, cheating isn't always about sex. A lot of the time, women, we are not seeing the men. We are not seeing them and the way they want to be seen. We're constantly telling them, whether it's energetically or actually with words you're not doing enough you're not good enough you're not of a man not good enough of a man not a good not good enough of a man you're letting me down all the time etc it's this like constant expectation of i'm wanting more 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 and as a result what is what then can happen is that yes men cheat but it's not because they want to cheat often it's actually because they're just wanting to be seen and loved if that makes sense Friends, for the first time since 2019, I will be doing my first completely live program this year called Her. And it is not to be missed. And I mean that it is for every single woman on every walk of life, whether you have your own business, whether you don't have your own business, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're not in a relationship, 
If you want to be able to fully embrace feminine leadership in every area of your life so that even when you do have to lead something, you're not doing it in a way that will drain you, then you need to get on the waitlist via the link below. Okay, so let's go into Ethan. So remember in season, sorry, season two, yes, episode two, remember when he uh, has gone for a run and his wife Harper has gone to breakfast without him and she's having breakfast and he comes back to the hotel room and he starts to jack off, right? So what we, what we see is like a snippet that we see more of later in the show. The porn scene kind of proves to us with him jacking off. And I want to say there is nothing wrong with masturbating. Obviously you guys know I'm like, so not about that. Uh, not about shaming masturbation. There is a lot of shame though around men masturbating with porn. And that's like a whole other topic of conversation that I should do an episode on. Um, but what we re- what I really want you guys to be looking at is not the problem that he's masturbating with porn, but rather is that we see more so later in the show, especially in the next in like later in this episode and the next episode, is that him and his wife Harper have lost the polarity in their relationship. And they're just really together as roommates. They both want sex. This is the thing. He wants sex. He has a libido. She wants sex. She has a libido. But what's interesting is that why are they not having sex? He's still carving out the time to masturbate when he's come home from from a run, for example. So the question is, why have they lost the polarity? Well, we see with their engagements that they really are kind of acting like roommates, not even best friends. It's very roommatey, right? Harper makes it very clear that she wants more. She wants sex, right? When she walks into the room and sees Ethan jacking off, and what they don't, he's not hiding it, right? He's not hiding the situation. He's kind of joking about it. And what's funny is that they play down those situations rather than actually inviting each other further into the situation. We see it later on when then she's laying on the bed in her lingerie when he comes back for a run, being like, I'm ready, you're horny, let's have sex. And then they completely just blow off the situation um, and they don't actually invite each other deeper into intimacy. They blow it off by depolarizing the situation. They often are depolarizing things for each other, right? So Harper makes it really clear she wants more. She wants them to be happy. She wants them to be having sex, etc. But Ethan just doesn't seem to care very much. So that moment when she, when um she comes back to the room and he's masturbating, they don't handle the situation very well, right? Harper gets pissed. And then, you know, Harper gets pissed that he didn't wait 15 minutes for her, which I totally get. Fair enough, right? And he also could have been sexy in that situation, right? Because he was like, well, you're having breakfast, like whatever, I could handle myself. If he needed to have an orgasm right at that moment, what he could have done if he wanted to be having sex with her, right? Not just getting off. If What he could have done was texted her and been like, hey, babe, I really need to have sex right now. Can you come back to the room? And, you know, can you help him out, et cetera? So it would have been like a sexy invitation. And then she could have gone back to the room and left breakfast because he's been like, honey, I'm horny, et cetera. But that obviously didn't happen. Then what I didn't like was that Ethan then blows it off like it's not a big deal. Harper, which was great, then offers to help him out. So Harper then literally says like, well, do you want me to help you out? And he says, no which further validates their loss of polarity and intimacy for them both, right? Had they used that situation to have sex, it would have actually created connection, but rather it normalized a roommate situation 
that they depolarized and it didn't really help them at all, right? They could have repolarized that situation because Ethan was horny and it could have been a great day for them and they could have actually had, they could have found connection in that. But what happened is that they depolarized that situation for each other. So if you're like, okay, I'm getting this, but I'm not, go back and rewatch that scene. It's in season, it's in season two, episode two. It's maybe like, I don't know, halfway through or something. And he's gone off for a run and she's gone for breakfast. And then she comes back to the room and watch their interaction because there was so much room for improvement for both of them, but they didn't get that gist. They were okay with blowing off the situation and keeping each other, like keeping each other at an arm's distance and not being closer. It doesn't help, obviously, that Harper is extremely emasculating and we can likely assume that we have not even, if this was real life, we have not even seen half of how emasculating she can be at home, on the average workday, et cetera. So that really probably doesn't help the whole situation because she is so emasculating um, to him all the time because I really, I, I could bet on that she's very emasculating to him based on what we've seen already with the emasculation. Now we know, you guys know that because like when a woman is emasculating a man, it's going to depolarize the situation as well. It's going to make him go into a turtle shell. And so he's not going to then be claiming you in the way that you want to. She wants to be claimed. She wants to be ravished. And we know this, this is like solidified later in the season when Cameron starts flirting with Harper and Harper receives it. Why does Harper receive it? We They haven't cheated. We don't think they've cheated. We know that they, we end up knowing that they kiss, but why does she receive it when she's so when she's also we see this in Noto when she's like I would never cheat and 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 Ethan oh my god he would never cheat right she is on her high and mighty horse of they have a great relationship based on what she thinks so you would think for her character that she would never cheat so then why is it that she even engages with Cameron later on because Cameron is a claimer Cameron claims I mean he's got his own fucking problems and maybe the execution isn't the greatest and like he's a bit of a douchebag or a lot of a douchebag but we can say one thing he claims his wife he leads he he is masculine he's dominating in a healthy way in a sexy way okay maybe not, he's not that healthy about it but in in the way that he dominates uh his wife Daphne it's healthy right the unhealthy parts is the cheating and you know, him being a bit of a douchebag, et cetera. But all in all, like he is dominating in a sexy way and in a way that she fucking likes. Harper wants that and she's not getting it. So her eye isn't necessarily wondering, but when Cameron is kind of extending his reach, she's like, this feels good to be wanted. Key thing, Ethan doesn't make it very clear of I want you to Harper. And Harper, just like any woman, is like, I want to be wanted. So, okay, moving on. I don't want to go on to them for too long. All right. So we know that Harper is extremely emasculating. We also know that she kind of has a little bit of, we, we see over the season, she's got a little bit of a reason to do it because of the way that Ethan sometimes acts. Ethan might look masculine, but he doesn't act it. 
Ethan is not a masculine man. And this is really, this is important because we often think, you know, that based on a look, a guy is masculine. Ethan is not masculine. He does not lead them. He does not put his foot down. He does not claim her. He does not devour her. He doesn't bring out her lover. He doesn't bring, he doesn't allow her to feel safe to be fully in her feminine. And I did an Instagram post on this, um, a couple of weeks ago. If you want to scroll back and see it, but basically the Instagram post said, let me pull it up. It was really good. And whilst I pull this up, guys, do not forget that my new program, her is out. And I'm very, very excited about it. If you don't know what it is, the link is below. This is the first round and it's completely live. I mean, what a vibe. So her, every woman needs to join this program. It's all things feminine leadership. Okay. So I, what I said was ladies, you do have to be in your feminine to let a man lead. And let's not forget that men, you must prove to her that you can lead her and are a trustworthy source of her surrender. So I'm going to read it again. Ladies, you do have to be in your feminine to let a man lead. And let's not forget that men, you must prove to her that you are, that you can lead and are a trustworthy source of her surrender. So what that's meaning is like, yes, ladies, you need to be in your feminine to even let a man lead. And men, you have to actually make it safe for her to even be in her feminine. Right now with Ethan and Harper, Harper like wouldn't really feel safe to be in her feminine because Ethan doesn't take control. So she's the one having to kind of take a little bit of control. And you can almost see her masculine armor around her. And it's a protective mechanism. And this is important because I was actually seeing, I was watching a uh, like an interview the other day. And this woman was sharing about egg freezing and that she's freezing her eggs um, with her husband, or maybe her boyfriend, whatever, partner. Um, great, great, great. And then she goes on to say, and I'm also keeping some eggs just for me, right? So they're freezing some under both their names and they're, they're doing the like they're doing the transplant and everything. So when they're ready to have kids, it's happened. Um, like it, the egg has been fertilized, but she's also going to keep some unfertilized so that she can protect herself is what she said so that I can protect myself. She said, cause I'd be stupid to not protect myself. And whilst I completely see her point, I'm also like, this is what we've come to. We all live in a place, li- sorry, live from a place of untrustworthiness. We all don't trust each other. We don't even trust our fucking partners to not leave us. And I get be logical be realistic. We live in the real world. I get that sometimes you think you're going to be with this person forever and it doesn't work out. I completely understand that. And we're forgetting that the that the energy of I have to protect myself, I'm going to keep some eggs just for myself, we forget how that could be playing in our subconscious mind in our relationship. We forget how it could be creating this armor and barrier around us, blocking us from further intimacy because we are protecting ourselves and don't want to get hurt. Here's the thing I want to leave you guys with, and then we're going to keep going. Are you protecting yourself because you don't want to get hurt? Or are you putting a wall up to not let anybody else in to fully love you? Because good people don't hurt good people. Right. But if you have a barrier all the time to never let somebody in, then there's a possibility that person could end up being like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm out because you never let me in. When you let somebody fully in and they are a good person, 
all they see is beauty because intimacy and intimacy intimacy allows for authenticity. They allow they are they are able to fully see your authentic self, right? And your authenticity can never be ugly. It can never be bad enough to make somebody leave because it's art and it's beautiful. When there is a lack of authenticity, when there is a lack of intimacy and honesty, that is where the problems start. The problems don't start from honesty and intimacy. The problems start from there being barriers and walls and armor around ourselves. So I'm just going to leave you guys with that in terms of the whole like protecting yourself. So we can see that Harper, she has a wall around herself and she's also have to ha- having to have that because she doesn't feel safe to let that down with Ethan. Maybe she did in the beginning of their relationship. Let's assume that she did because that's why she's married him. But now things are just getting boring and bland and stale and roommate vibes. And as a result, she's putting a wall up to protect herself from not getting hurt and not feeling let down all the time. Uh, Daphne does this as well in a different way with her uh, coping mechanism for him cheating, for Cameron cheating, and her not having resentment. So I'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. So I will say that Harper makes a point to Ethan of we talk about everything, but they don't because they don't bring intimacy into conversations. They maybe talk about things like roommates talk about things or like friends talk about things, but they don't bring intimacy and like we never see them bring intimacy and um, like resolution into conversations. It's always kind of like bigger, 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 whatever. Next, it's never let's actually have an intimate, deep conversation. I want to understand where you're coming from and I want to be better. It's kind of like they're both stuck in their ways and no one wants to budge, if that makes sense. And they're both just happy, very much like settling and having a very, very mediocre relationship, right? So that's actually the whole like how to bring intimacy into a conversation. That is something that I go into very deeply in embodiment of dating and then also in Be Love and Not a Mother, just in different ways. Be Love and Not a Mother is more about doing it in a way that you don't emasculate. Embodiment of dating number two is actually about literally like how to do it, how to have those hard conversations. When you're having a hard conversation, how do you bring intimacy into it, etc. Embodiment of dating number two is really going through like the quote unquote ugly stuff in relationships. It's not like a fluff. It's not, a, not, not my programs are fluffy, but it is definitely not a, fr- a fluffy vibey, like, you know, except like, I don't even know how to describe it. There's, tes- there's screenshots on the website that will kind of demonstrate this, but the women have said over and over, like, thank you so much for making these modules real and not everything's his fault. This is how to be perfect, etc. You've actually made it really tangible and real because this is how relationships actually are, if that makes sense. And then be loved on a mother, as you guys would know, if you don't, it's all about how to be a lover and not a mother and how to make sure that you are not emasculating your man. Okay. So when Portia and Albie love these two, so because there's juice on them. So when Portia and Abby are out for dinner in episode two, remember how they go out for dinner and then um, Tanya and Greg walk in as well. So she asks if he is always the nice guy in relationships. And he brings up, Albie brings up the comment of girls always want nice guys, but when I'm nice, they're not interested. So let's break this down. I kind of mentioned this before, right? There's a difference between being nice and being passive. Albie is passive. What 
Porsche is wanting is Porsche is wanting a man that is, of course, nice. Like I was saying, we all want nice guys, but we don't want a passive man because then we don't, our nervous system does not feel like it can relax because it feels like we have to be watching out for everything. We have to be in control or in charge in some way, shape or form. And as a result, we don't feel like we can fully soften and relax and surrender to him. So Albie is passive. He's nice. Yeah. And he's passive. And we want nice and also a man that's going to fucking grab us and fuck our brains out whenever we need it. (laughs) My fiance just walked into the room. Did you hear that? (laughs) It's true though. That's what we want because otherwise what we see with Portia is that she ends up going for actually the bad guy, that British guy, because he gives her the feeling that she is craving that she doesn't get with Albie. And we have to remember that our fantasies are really just a, are just coming from a place of desire. And that often our sexual needs will drive us because the, the feeling that we get from when we have them fulfilled can overdrive the feeling that we get of that safety, like home feeling. This is why a lot of us will end up in trauma bonded relationships and not safe and calm relationships. It's because a lot of us will label safety and calmness as boring and we'll label trauma, trauma bonds, trauma bonded relationships as exciting, right? So if we just use these characters, Portia's gone to like, let's just say for the sake of this, a trauma bonded relationship with that British guy, because it's giving her the excitement that she's wanting. And Albie is, okay, Alba, it's kind of a bad example because Albie's boring, but also passive. But imagine if like Albie was a nice guy, but also direct, like he gave direction. He was um, leading things. He claimed her, he kissed her like hard, et cetera, et cetera. She would probably be going for him. He's also calm. Some girl, some women wouldn't be able to figure out, oh, he's calm and he fucks me well we will just go for the trauma bonded relationship if that makes sense. So what you want to be thinking about is you want to go for the relationship that it's not that the relationship should be boring. It's that it should be safe. But if you, if your nervous system is jacked up all the time, people can confuse boring with safety. The calm feeling of I am safe. Some people that are in this constant state of fight or flight can be like, this is vanilla and boring and yuck. So they leave it. When you heal your nervous system and when you heal your body, your your body from somatically holding on to trauma, then what that means is that you can then allow yourself to have that safe relationship that also, of course, is sexually fulfilling. I am never an advocate for a safe relationship that that isn't sexually fulfilling because you're going to end up presenting yourself for still settling because you you can have both, you get to have both, and like I was saying before permission to sometimes be the one leading that operation of creating safety for him and for you to both unleash your sexual desires. A lot of us have suppressed our sexual needs and desires. And what that means is that you could be in a relationship with a great guy and like, he's just not claiming you. He's not like fucking you well enough. He's not, you know, choking you the way that you want to be choked in the bedroom, whatever it is that you like. And And I also want to say it may not be because he isn't capable. It may be because he doesn't feel safe to do that. This is where having those open conversations and allowing the other person to feel safe is really important. The more you talk about stuff like sex and what you want, the safer it becomes, the less taboo that it becomes. And I'm always like from day dot, talk about sex. I always did this. Like, what kind of sex do you like? Like, I would always bring that up 
early in the relationship. I did it with my fiance as well because I was like, I'm not going to be with someone that doesn't want to have the same sex as me because I'm not here to change somebody. I'm not here to like fucking coach someone to get there. And I maybe I need to give them permission, but they inherently want that sex, right? So like, let's say your man, he inherently wants to be the dominant one in the relationship. It's just that he is working on feeling safe to do that because society, his upbringing, people around him have always made it like that's bad to do, if that makes sense. So just notice the difference between an inherent desire and then the permission for them to actually express that part of themselves, right? So I don't know whether Albie has that desire or not. We don't see enough of his character um, because it seems like when he is, for example, kissing Portia by the pool and being like, I'm going to kiss you now and then kissing you or kissing her or whatever, it's he's uncomfortable about being forward. You don't want a man that's uncomfortable about being forward. You want a man that's actually like, it's a relief to be able to be forward. It's my natural state to be forward because you want it to come with ease. You don't want it to feel like it is a chore for him. Just like you don't want it to feel like surrendering is a chore for you because something that feels like a chore isn't going to last. As in the act isn't going to last. Friends, I'm quickly interrupting this very juicy episode because I need to remind you that the Australia event is coming up very, very soon and the tickets are soon going to stop selling. So by the end of April, there'll be no more tickets available for you to buy. So it's really important that if you want to come, that you have done your due diligence in checking everything that you need to check about this event so that you can make an informed decision and not just checking the logistical side of things, but checking your intuition. Because like I've said, I'm not doing this event again in Australia in at least the next six years. I've been really open and transparent on the recent episodes. We you know, think we want to start having kids in 2025. I'm sorry, but I'm not taking a fucking toddler to Australia and dealing with that whilst I'm running a three-day event. I do not have the patience for that. So if you live in or around Australia, please, please, please do whatever you need to do to make this event happen. Because like Tony Robbins says, it is not a lack of resourceful of resources. It's a lack of resourcefulness. So if I was to explain that to you guys, think about in terms of all of your resources, time, energy, money, etc. Where are you telling yourself you're being resourceful, but you're actually not? Where are you afraid to really dig into in regards to your resources? What are you, what are the things that you need to maybe do to take the leap to get over your ego that actually is resourceful in making this happen, right? So you have the resources. Everybody has the resources because we all live in the same world. It is about whether you are being resourceful or not. Of course, some people have it easier than others. Others are not denying that. But you do have the ability to make this happen. It is whether you believe that you can and whether you are actually applying yourself or whether you're just telling yourself you are, but you're really doing a half-done job. So if you have any questions, if you're not sure whether the event is the right fit for you, if you're like, oh, I want to come, but is this program better? I don't know. Please, please, please just email support at monarchygateshealth.com so that we can guide you in the right direction, honestly because I am very clear with that. Like people will email all the time and I will actually give you the right directions. Like you might say, I want to do this program. And I'm like, no, you actually, that's not right. Stop. You're not going to get what you need out of it because you need to do this first. I'm really open and honest with that because I want you to get the results. That's why I do my job. 
So I'm not just going to sell you the event if it's not a right fit for you. I'm going to actually give you a little bit of a a guide of like, okay, first do this, then do this, then do this. That's going to give you the best result. Okay. So any questions, let me know. I'm so, so excited for this event. It's going to be absolutely incredible. The vibe is cozy mountain vibes because it's like kind of winter in Australia at this time. So it's going to be blankets, tea, cacao. We're trying to get like electric fireplaces in there. Like it is going to be a vibe. I'm telling you. So I will leave it there. Let's get back into this juicy episode. And do not forget to also leave a written review if you haven't already and send a screenshot to media at monarchyatehealth.com so that you can get your free exclusive meditation only available for my podcast listeners. Okay, so let's talk about the difference for guys about being nice versus not taking the lead because you want to people please and you are not confident in your decisions and leadership. So also kind of going between the difference between being nice and being passive. So with Albie, it's not that he's just nice. Like, yes, he is a nice guy, right? It's not that he's just nice. He does not take the lead because he wants to people please her and he's not confident in his decisions and his leadership. And obviously that comes very likely from his dad and his dad making massive mistakes with women. So he's over correcting himself is the problem. And he's like the modern boy in society that is trying to be this like perfect feminist guy. Um, it's actually not doing anything. It's just drying up all of our pussies and we're not attracted by it. So we want nice people. We want nice guys. For you guys, notice the difference between a guy that is nice versus a guy that doesn't take the lead because he feels like he has to people please in order to feel accepted enough, not rejected, etc., not judged. And as a result of that, he's also not confident in his decisions, in his ability, and in his leadership. That is two different things. You want the nice guy. You don't want the people pleaser because the people pleaser is then going to just be pleasing everybody. He's not doing it actually from a place of desire and confidence. And you also want a man that is going to stand up for you. You don't want a man that's then passive and is like pleasing his fucking mom and not standing up for you or is pleasing something else or is just abiding by whatever's happening because he doesn't want to ruffle feathers. You want a guy that's unafraid to ruffle some fucking feathers to protect you, lead you, and have your back. Like there's nothing worse than hearing about the stories of shit going down in families and husbands or partners not standing up for their wives and being passive to like their parents or to the guy's mom. Like so, like my pussy is shriveled, like just not the vibe. It's disgusting. But more than that, what it's, what's actually what we're seeing is a man that has been emasculated his whole life by probably his mom. And I've done, I did another episode on this about like, um, if you are a mom, how to speak to boys because fathers parent boys differently to how mothers parent boys. And like mothers will often parent boys with a mat with like shaming because that's how they would parent a daughter because we're not registering it the same way versus if you're shaming a man, or shaming a boy all the time, you end up with a boy that's constantly trying to please his mom even when he's an adult. No, thank you. So that's what's happening when you have a man that is passive towards his mom and isn't standing up to 
his partner, his woman, it's that he is still fighting to feel like he is enough for his mom or his dad or whatever. And so he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. But all that happens is we actually just have resentment towards him because we want to feel protected and supported in whatever we're going through, right? Or whatever our decision is or whatever it is. So Portia brings up a really good point of I'm sick of fucking TikTok and Bumble and screens and apps when they're at that dinner. And she's like, I want to have fun. I want to have an adventure. I want to feel excitement. Most of us are feeling this way, are we not? Like people are getting off their phones more and more. We're getting off the apps. We're getting off Instagram. We're getting off the fucking dating apps, all that kind of stuff. Because people are realizing that in-person connection is undeniable. It is more fulfilling and it gives us what we need. If you need that, you need to come to my event, right? Because it's undeniable but in person is a whole other level of things. And no matter what capacity we're talking about, whether it's work or whether it's friendships or whether it's relationships, right? She says, I want to live my life so badly. Maybe she throws a fuck in there. I can't remember. She is expressing to him that she wants to be taken and led and cherished and devoured and wanted and well fucked. He doesn't pick it up, right? He is not picking up what she's putting down because his lens is like, please, 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 please. And don't like, don't um, upset a woman. Don't upset a woman. Don't be too aggressive. Don't be too dominant, etc. But she's literally trying to tell him be fucking dominant. And why I love this scene is because I think a lot of women and men can possibly be relating in this where women are feeling like, I feel like I'm telling him what I want, but he's not picking it up because men are direct. You have to tell them exactly what you fucking want. Like, I want you to be dominant in this way. Give an example, right? Not just express like your desire through like an emotional lens of what you're wanting to feel. Men aren't as emotional. Men most of the time cannot take unless they know you super well, they cannot take a feeling and turn it into an example and an action, right? Because they're not feeling-based. They're logic-based. They're action-based. So if you're wanting a man to pick up what you're putting down, you need to put down exactly what you want him to pick up. Like literally almost an example, like word for word, exactly what you want. So Albie then goes on to say, I seem to be attracted to pretty wounded birds. Why is he attracted to pretty wounded birds? Because he's trying to fix them and save them because he didn't get to save his mom, right? And so he almost has like too much, he's too, uh, what's the word? He's probably punishing himself a little bit for not being able to save his mom. And he feels so bad for his mom that as a result, He's picking, he's attracted to these wounded birds because he's trying to save them and be the man for them in the way that his dad wasn't for his mom. So what's happening is he's trying to not replay history, but what he's actually doing is getting himself in situations where he isn't going to be fulfilled and he's with a woman that's also not going to end up being fulfilled. So just like we've seen that Dominic, his dad, Dominic's wife isn't fulfilled, obviously, because he's cheated. Well, if we, if if Albie continues to do what he's doing right now, he's going to end up actually repeating history of his woman won't be fulfilled. It's just that he will do it in a different way. Can we see that? So very often what we do is like whatever trauma we have, we try really hard to not repeat history. But 
because we still have that trauma somatically in our body and we're wired that way, we subconsciously actually repeat history just with a different execution strategy. So very often we'll try to avoid to have the same execution, but we end up doing the same thing. So really, if Albie wanted to not repeat history, he would actually step more into a healthy masculine, really understand women, be confident within himself, therefore only want to be with confident women that are also in their feminine and have hot, sexy, fucking healthy relationships. But he's not doing that. He's still having unhealthy relationships just in a different way, right? So he's being so opposite to his dad that he's like, he's swung the pendulum all the way to the other side, that he's not putting his foot down to any women. And he's rather, you know, trying to find ones that he can save and fix. Therefore, he gets to have the the badge of honor of I'm a better man. I'm helping women. But are the women feeling helped by him? Are the women feeling protected and claimed and provided for by him? No, he's he, he's not a protective force. He's not a force that allows our nervous system to relax. It fucking annoys me. Like, watching the show, my nervous system gets stressed watching him, right? So think about it that way. Like he's trying to be this better man for men, which we can like we can really adore and appreciate about him. Sorry, better man for women, which we can really adore and appreciate about him. But what he's not realizing, because society doesn't teach this, right? Hence this podcast, is that he's actually not making women feel any safer by being that passive because he's ramping up our nervous systems and then we're having to go into our masculine because he's being so inauthentic as a man, right? Remember, authentic people feel like safe people. Inauthentic people don't feel like safe people because they're being someone else that they're not, okay? All right, so then staying in season, sorry, staying in episode two. So Tanya at dinner. So when Tanya and Greg go into a fight, we actually see a little bit of Tanya finally expressing herself and sticking up for herself, which is great, right? She's deeply wanting to be seen and loved and accepted. And we know that Greg is a piece of shit and lying to her face, the way that she goes about it is problematic because it doesn't lead to her making good decisions, right? So her execution needs quite a bit of help. And the other part that needs quite a bit of help with Tanya is that with Greg, with the Greg stuff, we see that she goes to others to get a sense of truth and confidence. So later in the episode, she goes to that psychic to get a sense of comfort and safety But really, this is actually her outsourcing her sense of safety and confidence. She has always, probably from the fucking day of birth for her, outsourced her sense of safety and confidence. And even when the psychic tells her that Greg is basically a dick, she doesn't want to hear it. She only wants to hear that outsource of safety and confidence when it's something that she can get behind, when it is helping her to feel seen and loved. But as soon as, for example, she finds out Greg's basically cheating, she then feels less seen and less loved by him. She doesn't want to see that truth. And so she like gets angry at the psychic, etc. So Tanya's thing is that she wants to be seen. She wants to be loved. Her execution is really problematic. And she outsources her sense of safety. And she outsources her sense of confidence and self-trust to other people or other things, right? Okay, so jumping to episode three. So this is where like Harper starts to really put the effort in. 
of getting ready for sex, like I talked about with Ethan. That's how the episode kind of starts off. He doesn't want to give it to her. No wonder they have literally minus the amount of sexual chemistry needed in a polarized relationship. Then what I was thought was interesting, then you know how she says, like, I'm going to be a good girl today. She's going to be nice to the other couple. She's going to be fun, et cetera, et cetera. There was an opportunity right there for Ethan to take that. If I'm going to be a good girl today, take that and turn it into something sexual. Like, oh, baby, did you say you're going to be a good girl? Are you sure that you're going to be? Like, he could have gone full sexual and dirty talk on her saying, I'm going to be a good girl today. But he gets serious. They have such a lack of play and tension, and it causes that essentially roommate energy because they don't pick up on each other's cues because they're not even necessarily like they don't they're not having that play energy in their body for their reticular activating system to then be able to see oh opportunity to get dirty it's just serious 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 between them so in that example why i was saying it was because there was such a good spot for ethan to go like to to run with that i'm being a good girl today and he didn't run with it So why I'm saying this is like sometimes in your relationship, those cheeky comments, it's an invitation to get cheeky, to get playful, to create sexual tension, even if it's just for a minute. You need to have sex. You don't even need to kiss. But being playful is such a crux to a romantic, polarized relationship. Okay? It's that flirtiness, that banter. So let's jump to the Noto scene. So this is where um, Harper and Daphne go to Noto and they end up spending the night. So firstly, Harper is clearly bitter about – oh, wait, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, Harper – so Harper. Harper is clearly bitter with Ethan about kind of, quote-unquote, making her go in the beginning. Whatever, fine, next. This is the part, though, that we find out that Cameron cheats on his wife. She – so Daphne is almost the opposite of emasculating – she lets him, she doesn't stand up for herself. So her character is interesting because she doesn't let herself be seen as a victim. She has her own coping strategies. But what I find interesting is that it's like, she's also always trying to keep the peace and not ruffle feathers. And she accepts the cheating, et cetera, et cetera. She never brings it up. She never puts her foot down. She never stands up to him. She never, we never see her say, I'm not fucking tolerating this. And so we don't get to know her character that much more, but it seems like there is a lack of self-respect for her as well. Like she's happy to put up with it for whatever that reason is, whatever. It seems like she's happy to put up with it. If I was Daphne, there'd be no way in fucking hell that I'd be putting up with it. Would I see myself as a victim? No, but would I tolerate it? Absolutely not. I wouldn't just have like a coping strategy to reduce resentment because I personally don't think that there'd be enough of a coping strategy to reduce resentment where there has been a lack of a lack of trust and there's been lying. That's that part with the whole like I have my coping strategy so I don't get resentful. I was kind of like mm, like ha- I don't think it's actually possible for anyone to not get resentful when there is like a constant sense of cheating and we know that for a fact he does actually cheat, right? So then we jump to when Alfie and his daughter, sorry, when Alfie, when Albie, sorry, and Portia and his grandfather and his dad, Dominic, they all go on their little excursion. And there's that scene, right? That like political scene. So Alfie, sorry, Albie basically puts down what his grandfather is saying about the Godfather movie, right? What it was called the Godfather movie, right? Because 
Albie says, of course you liked it. You're nostalgic for the solid days of the patriarchy. And I'm like, oh my God, this shit is so fucking politically correct. It's disgusting. Like, oh my God, what has the world come to? Anyway, what's funny is that if you actually watch watch Portia's face, it kind of gives away her discomfort with the topic. So my question is, does she agree with him or does she disagree with him? Because she thought it was tasteless that the wife blew up in the car. Also, like, why the fuck is our culture so perfectionistic these days? Like, we can't even enjoy an effing movie because it's not tasteful. Anyway, we know that she's wanting to be claimed by a man. And uh, and something like, you know, you're nostalgic for the days of the sol- uh, like of the solid days of the patriarchy, etc. It was interesting to see her face because it didn't seem like she was agreeing with him. It seemed like she was almost uncomfortable with him saying that. Dominic and his father, I can't remember the grandfather's name, um, whatever, was like basically rolling their eyes and they, and he said, we're hardwired for this, right? They're, and, and I don't disagree, right? You guys know that men are hardwired to, so why he said this was because I think it was Albie was saying, you know, women aren't just wives and like, they can't just be used whenever they want, et cetera, et cetera, something like that. And then Dominic says, well, we're hardwired for this. And it, he wasn't saying we're hardwired to want men to cook and clean and like do nothing and be subservient. That's what, that wasn't what he was saying. He was saying that, that men are hardwired to be fucking men, like to be masculine, to lead, to dominate, to have a bit more of a sense of control. And you guys know that it's healthy. It doesn't mean have control in an unhealthy way. It doesn't mean be controlling and not let her have a say, it means take the decision-making off our plate because our nervous systems can't handle it and don't want to have to handle it. That's what it's actually meaning, right? So, and then it was also interesting because like if I was Portia, I'd be like, fucking, like Jesus fucking Christ, because Portia is rolling her eyes about the whole thing, especially when Albie says, gender is all a construct, I, I was very interesting to see that Portia rolled her eyes because that is so like a new age thing to say if gender is a construct. Um, because we know, and you guys know this, and I actually talk about it in my book, so I'm not even going to go into it. The whole gender is, a, I'm not going to even go into it because my book talks about it and it's like a whole other episode on itself. The whole gender is a construct thing is really interesting. So point being though, when we're talking about masculine and feminine, there's a whole biological aspect to it, right? There's a hormonal aspect to it. They are hormonally wired to have more testosterone. They do have more testosterone. They can lead. They can they can do more of those masculine, manly things, whereas we are not wired that way. Science has shown us that we cannot survive with as much stress. We do not cope with as much stress. And so why would we then be the ones to be making all the decisions and running the show when our bodies literally break down faster from doing those things than men? It wouldn't make sense. And that whole scene where like Albie is having his fucking soft boy moment, like times a hundred, I'm literally just sitting there dying as my pussy's drying up. And it seems like Porsche, Porsche's is too. And then what's really funny is that, you know how Porsche has to leave to go back to Tanya, is that Albie makes it all like, thanks, dad you made her leave because she felt uncomfortable. So we really see that Albie has this whole lens of almost like women are are always uncomfortable. What was really interesting about that is that we can tell that his reticular activating system has essentially been wired for like women feel unsafe in this world, which when you think about it, it's actually then kind of putting women down, 
right? Like if you if you if I was to go down the political route, I would then say, well, if men think that women are, you know, we uh, the world is like out to get us, then why are you making these comments and trying to protect us? Like it counteracts like the whole like women can stand up for themselves. Does that make sense? Like I don't know how to describe this, but it's like he's trying to protect her with this lens of she's weak. Which is funny because the way that he's protecting her is trying to be all feminist, which would mean that if he was actually trying to be feminist, she could stand up for herself. He doesn't need to be bringing up these topics and making a big deal out of literally nothing. So I found that really interesting. Okay. Then we jump back to seeing Cameron and Ethan. They start to have their party night. Cameron and Ethan have a very interesting relationship, right? Cameron's clearly a very egotistical dude that has a lot of insecurities about his own worth. Ethan's Ethan's also insecure, but shows it differently, right? So he hides as a way to feel safer, whereas Cameron makes sure he gets attention and isn't rejected in order to feel safer. So Cameron literally emasculates Ethan for not lying to his wife and cheating, which is very weird. And we see how uncomfortable Ethan is when Cameron starts to engage with Mia and Lucia and Cameron just sweet sweet talks. I mean, at least he's a lie about it, but point is, is that I want you guys to see that both men are insecure, but the execution is different. Ethan's execution of his insecurity is hide and become smaller and become quiet. Cameron's execution of his insecurities is actually be seen more and ensure that I am never feeling rejected, right? So because Daphne and uh, and Harper are not coming back, he's like, I don't have a woman for the night. I'm going to get another woman. Like he feels rejected by his wife. He doesn't want to feel rejected. He feels insecure. So what does he do? He ensures that he is being seen by women. That is how he expresses his insecurity, right? So jumping back to Daphne now, back in the Noto house. So it's interesting because it's, there's a lot of characters. I hope that you guys are following. It's interesting because Daphne knows that Cameron cheats on her, but instead of dealing with it by confronting him or communicating about it, she almost uses, uses it as a whole pass to do whatever she wants. So they play games with each other. They are a game playing relationship. She plays with him by staying at the night at Noto as a way to hopefully make him think that they're having so much fun. So you can see the game in there. She desperately wants his attention. She likes him to be jealous. And, you know, she kind of uses jealousy as punishment in a way and a sense of control. So what's really funny is that she's very feminine in some aspects, but she's like controlling almost like subliminally. Because she's using jealousy and this game of pretending to have fun because deep down she's wanting to be claimed. This is interesting because a lot of women will do this. A lot of women will make fights, bring up drama, cause problems because what they're doing is they're testing. They are deeply wanting him to be like, shut the fuck up. There is no problem. Grab and then like grab you and be like, I love you. I'm not going anywhere, et cetera, et cetera. Why do we want that? We want that. Because we want to feel as a woman, like we can be so fucking expressed, so ourselves, so emotional, so raw, and they won't leave. We want to see that they, that they have that level of commitment and they are that devoted to us that we could be so fucking psycho and they would grab us and be like, stop it. I love you, etc. And that, so when you have that desire to like fuck shit up, 
often like that fantasy that you are creating in your head of fucking shit up. It's coming from the desire of you're wanting to be claimed in a more intense way than you currently are by your partner. Harper wants to be claimed in a more intense way than Cameron, than what Cameron's doing. So this, so she's playing this game and then Cameron also plays a game obviously in return, right? Harper obviously thinks it's weird as fuck that they're playing games, like rightly so, but she also thinks that her relationship is better because they're not cheating on each other. However, they have their own set of problems. They just both don't deal with it. And they, and sorry, they both deal with their problems in different ways, as in Harper and Ethan deal in their problem, deal with their problems in a fucking weird way. And Cameron and Daphne deal with their problems by not dealing with them and instead just like having fun and playing games with each other, right? It's this constant game for them. So the last thing that I want to say to wrap this up, the scene where Harper and Daphne are walking around Noto. Harper starts to get stared at by a lot of men. It was so interesting because Daphne didn't see it. Uh, Harper was getting like claustrophobic by it. And literally it was paint. The scene was like painting a picture of her feeling unsafe. And it was painting this picture of she, she, she feels like men are out to get her almost right. Like men are, um, like a predator. It's kind of, was kind of like the energy, right. Which was really interesting. And what it shows us as the viewer is that you paint your own picture of like how you see the world. Then when Harper, sorry, then when Daphne comes into the scene, it was really interesting. Harper was like looking around and seeing the fear of the situation, whereas Daphne was seeing the pleasure of all the men. Very interesting, two completely different takes. Then when they're both having drinks, Daphne asks Harper, don't you like being a woman? And Harper says, I'm fine with it usually. And I feel like this perfectly encompasses the feelings that most women have these days, right? Daphne loves being a woman and we see that with her character. She doesn't see herself as being a victim. She doesn't see herself as someone that needs saving. She's, she uses her femininity as power and as strength and not as something that's wrong. But Harper has this whole lens of the world of everything is worse for being a woman. Like I get the bad end of the stick. And, and it's why I love this. It's like this literally ties into what I talk about with you guys in my work of how many women feel like the world is out to get us and therefore they create that as their reality. So I'm going to leave this episode here. We're going to have another one. Do not worry. I hope that you guys love this. Please give me your feedback, your thoughts, etc., for the next episode that I do. And if you also wouldn't mind sharing the episode on your socials, I would deeply and greatly appreciate that. You can tag me and you can tag the podcast and I will see you guys in the next episode.